Good morning. For those who don't know me, my name is Derek, and I just want to welcome you to Grace. We're in the middle of a series called The Parables of Jesus. We're going to be looking at uh, some more parables today and next week. Then I want to tell you where we're heading in June, because very excited to let you know that we're bringing back something we did last year that was very popular called At the Movies. We take uh, popular movies and um, we we figure out where, where are biblical, spiritual themes intersecting with those movies. And um, it's great. We're really, really excited. It kicks off June the 5th. And uh, I just want to tell you, perfect series to invite a friend to who does not go to church. And here's why. Because you can actually say to your friend, you can say, look, even if the sermon's really bad and you hate it, you at least got to see some movie clips. I mean, so there you go. That's verbatim what you can, what you can tell a friend. And um, I'm telling you, it'll, it's going to be a lot of fun. So um, June the 5th, we're looking at Star Wars. We're going to show some clips from Star Wars and talk about that movie. And it's also, if, if anyone wants to dress up, you are more than welcome. In fact, you're encouraged to, uh, to, to dress up that day. We're, we're going to have a blast with it. Well, um, today, more parables of Jesus. And uh, if you're here this morning, I, I'm making an assumption about you. And my assumption is, is that you are here because you want to be here. There's maybe a handful of you that got dragged here really against your will. And I'm really sorry. I just hope the rest of this hour goes quickly for you. But um, for the rest of you, the great majority, um, I'm assuming that you have come here because you genuinely like Grace Community Church. This is a good part of your Sunday morning. And uh, you, you like the vibe around here. You like the atmosphere of this place. You enjoy coming and feeling welcome. It doesn't matter if you've been away for a while. You don't get all those weird looks and like make you feel guilty. But it's, hey, we're so glad that you're here. Come on in. You like the laid back come as you are approach you like the no pressure to believe take things at your own pace and maybe for some of you if you've been coming for just a little while you you're kind of wondering like okay is this it's kind of too good to be true like what what's the deal with this church i mean and they don't even take an offering so like you're, you're kind of sitting there going is there a catch what's the string that's attached or maybe if you've just been coming for the last few weeks as we started this parable series and you've been hearing these stories that Jesus told which really illustrate God's love and what, what Jesus has done for you and it's in response to that and how God wants to answer all of our prayers as we talked about a couple weeks ago and it's not about this exercise of climbing some religious ladder trying to work our way up to God but it's actually just responding to the radical love and generosity of God and you're sitting there going man that's all great like I'm down with peace love and Prozac Jesus I mean that's that's awesome but you're kind of wondering is okay is there a catch here like when's the other shoe gonna drop and and maybe you're bracing yourself for that well if you've actually been wondering and and almost waiting for that well I got good news for you today is your day so brace yourself because we're gonna look at some really challenging words of Jesus. Let's jump in. Uh, and this is from the New Testament from a doctor named Luke who wrote an account of Jesus' life. It was captured in the Bible, and it's from the 14th chapter, starting the 25th verse. It says this, 
Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. So you need to know that this is, um, Jesus has been in his ministry now for a while. He has been teaching, he's been healing, he's been doing miracles, and he has generated a tremendous following. And so these large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, let me say that word again. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, Brothers and sisters, yes, even hate their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, if you're here this morning and you've just been uh, exploring Christianity, you might say, aha, see, this is my problem with Christianity. In fact, this is my problem with organized religion. See, when, when religion and Christianity, when it gets divisive, and when we start talking about words like hate, see, that's why, that's why I hate religion. And um, if that's you this morning, okay, before you just go running out of here, I, I want you just to hang in with me for the next few minutes. Let's, let's take an honest, hard look at what Jesus is saying here. Because what's crazy about this passage is on the surface, we find a visceral reaction we have to it. It's, it's, it's offensive to us. But if you can hang in there and if you can have some courage and stay open to what God might be saying through this passage, you might actually find the key to the ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction you've been looking for in this life. So the first question to ask yourself when you're looking at a, a passage like this is, is Jesus really advocating hate? Like, does this sound like Jesus Christ and what we know about Jesus? Like, did Jesus really say we're supposed to hate our relatives and hate our life? Well, yes and no. So he definitely did in this sense. Jesus was all about shock value when it came to stories. You need to know this if you're not that familiar with Jesus and how he taught. Jesus would go to great lengths. He would use vivid hyperbole. He would use extraordinary uh, pictures to, to paint things into people's minds. He wanted to drive points deep into the hearts and minds of his listeners. There's a reason why his teachings have lived for 2,000 years, even outside the church. Jesus was a master storyteller. And may, let's make no mistake about it. Jesus uses this word hate for absolute shock value. He doesn't want anyone walking away from this session being like, what did he say? No, no, everybody knew what Jesus said here. But what you need to know about that word hate is the way we hear it today in 2016 is not the way his original audience would have heard it 2,000 years ago. And this is really important. So in the Greek, that word hate, it is a relative Term. And what I mean by that is that when he's saying you are to hate your relatives and hate your own life, he's saying it relatively speaking, as in you are to hate something relative to something else. You're to hate one thing relative to something else. Now, I'm going to give you an easy example so you can track with me. All right. I want you to imagine for a second your uh, greatest sporting event you could ever hope to get into, your greatest concert you'd ever want to see, uh, best show you'd ever, like bucket list type stuff, okay? Think about that for a second. I want you to then imagine that it comes to D.C., it's a sold-out show, and you can't get in. But somehow, someone gives you tickets. 
You get tickets and they are in the nosebleed seats, the very top row, the, the worst seats in the house, but you don't care, do you? You are ecstatic just to be in the place. You get to your seat and an usher comes over and says, um, guess what, uh, are you sitting in this seat? And they, you say, yeah, they say, this is your day because you've been randomly selected to go front row seats to this event. You get whisked down to the front row. You're sitting front row to your bucket list, your dream event. And all the people in your row, they know what's going on and they're congratulating you. And they turn to you and they say, wow, so what do you think of those seats now? You can't even see the seats, they're so high up. You're like, are you kidding me? I hate those seats. Now, you didn't hate the seats two minutes ago, did you? But you hate those seats relative to the seats you're sitting in now. What Jesus is saying here is that relative to loving him, everything else comes second. Even our relatives, even our own life. What Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you want to follow me, then you have to put me first. Now, that's a tough message, especially today. Because really, in our culture today, our world today has a message for us. And actually, there's a voice in us that has a message for us too. It screams inside of us. And that is, this is a me first time that we're in. It's all about what do you want to do? You know, you got to look out for number one because nobody else is. You want to go get something? Go get it. It's, it's all about what, what do I need? What do I want to get? It's a me-first culture. You deserve it. You're worth it. Go after it and get it. And so we, we kind of have this ingrained into us that it's about me first. But what Jesus is actually telling us through, here through this very difficult passage with this really interesting word that he uses for this shock value is it's actually not about I'm first. But the message is I'm third. I'm third. Now, I want to explain what that means, but I want to make sure everybody gets this point. So when you came in today, you should have gotten a little card that says, I'm third. This is for you to take and put somewhere as a reminder of what we talked about today. Put it somewhere where you'll see it, and it'll help to focus you back on what Jesus is telling us through this passage. Now, some of you are like, what the heck? I'm third. I'm third doesn't make any sense. All right? Here's what this means. God first. Others second. I'm third. That's what Jesus ultimately is saying to us. God first, others second, I'm third. Now, I've heard this whole I'm third thing. I've gotten that message in various places in my life, but one of the places I've gotten it uh, in extraordinary quantities is in my marriage. And um, so I'm, I'm married to um, a wonderful woman named Becky, and she is also a pediatric uh, emergency room nurse. And you might be thinking, wow, you're like extra safe because you're married to a nurse. Nothing could be further from the truth, my friends. And some of you know this because you're, you, are, you have a family member who is in the medical field. It's actually an extraordinarily dangerous thing to be married to a nurse. I'm going to tell you why. So a few years ago, uh, my wife was working at the hospital early one morning, and it was my, my turn to get the kids off to school and uh, so I'm, I'm laying in bed. I kept hitting snooze because I just felt awful. I felt like I had the flu. And um, 
So I'm, I'm just laying in bed, delaying the inevitable, and then there's a knock on my door, and it's my neighbor who happened to that morning be dropping his daughter off at my house to put her on the bus with my kids. And so he knocks on the door, I come flying down the stairs, and, um, and his daughter comes in the house, and he's a big talker. So he's sitting there talking, talking, talking to me, and, um, and all I'm thinking is, I just feel so terrible. I, I'm just, I'm going to die, like just listening to you. And he won't shut up. And, um, and, and, then I'm, and then I'm thinking as he's talking, I couldn't tell you a word of what he said, but I'm just thinking, I, I think I might throw up. And then the next thing I know, I cut him off in mid-sentence. I'm like, sorry, I'm so scared. Sorry, Scott, I got to go. I gotta, I'm about to throw up. And I just run, like in the middle of him saying something. I run toward my bathroom. Now, I have this condition where I've been known to pass out on occasion from different things that happen. It's like, my, it's like God's gift to me when I'm going to experience too much pain, right? So, because um, he knows I'm a wimp. So, so the last thing I remember was, was running to the bathroom door, swinging the door open, and that was it. That's the last thing I remember. Just, I hope I make it to the toilet. Well, I made it to the toilet, all right. It was like, woo! And what was awesome, I don't know how in the world I pulled this off. I managed to fall with my arm down into the bowl of the toilet as like my neck is like up against the wall, right? And so that's the last thing I remember. The next thing I know, my buddy Scott is on the phone to my wonderful wife, and I hear him talking, and he says, well, he does look a little bit gray. And then, and then um, my wife says to him, well, okay, but is he conscious? See, this is where it gets dangerous, okay, if your wife is a nurse in the emergency room, okay? Because it's all relative, right? Is he conscious? Well, yeah. Does he have a pulse? Yeah, he does. Is he breathing? Yeah, he, he's breathing. Okay, put him on the phone. So then, so, so I, I get on the phone with her. She's like, hey, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think so, but can you come home? I actually cracked my C5 vertebrae. So, I mean, it's like, you know, it's, it's pretty legit. Um, so, so she's like, listen, you have no idea the kind of conditions that these patients have today that I'm taking care of. You fell over. You're going to be Okay. Suck it up! <laughs> and there you have it. That's why it's dangerous to be married to a nurse. That was an I'm third moment, okay? We don't like I'm third moments, and I certainly don't like it when Jesus kind of has these, these messages. For me, they're tough. They're really tough. And um, we're not done with the tough stuff. Check out what Jesus says next. He says, and, so in addition to the whole I'm third thing, and... Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, today you might be thinking, oh, okay, carry the cross, like, like, like a nice little cross necklace or piece of jewelry or maybe some sort of a decorative item that you'd put in your house somewhere. No, no, we're talking about carrying a cross. Jesus is referring to a Roman execution tool. Carrying your cross meant you literally would take a cross and they would force you to carry it. You'd carry it on your back. That would be the thing you'd be executed on. So when Jesus says, you've got to follow me, you've got to be willing to carry your cross, basically what he's saying there is, you must be willing to suffer even unto death. And if you're not willing to do that, you can't follow me. 
Some of you are like, man, this is a great, uplifting day to come to church. This is fantastic. If you brought a friend right now, you're mortified that you brought your friend on this day. You're like, it's cool, it's laid back. This is like a really chill church. And it's like, you must be willing to die. Okay? Just stay with me. Stay with me. Then Jesus tells two parables back to back. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. So, quick review, all right? If you tune me out for a minute, just tune me right back in. We'll give you the whole, the whole message if you dozed off, all right? So, so far, here's what we've got. Jesus is saying, here's the deal, guys. You want to follow me? You got to put me first. You're going to put me first? It's going to cost you. And then he gets extraordinarily practical. I love this about Jesus. He basically says, look, guys, listen, it's really simple. Before you take that step of faith, before you decide that you're going to follow me, you need to sit down and count the cost. What is it actually going to look like in your life to do that? What is it going to cost you? Because you, it's, you have to be willing to suffer. You've got to be willing to sacrifice. You owe it to yourself to count the cost before you jump in. You don't want to get in over your head and then you look like an idiot. Count the cost. And then Jesus says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. If you're here this morning and um, maybe you've been exploring Christianity and exploring who Jesus is, um, there's, there's really probably two things for you that are the big things that you're wrestling with, the big questions that you have. The first one that you have to wrestle to the ground is, is it true? Is Jesus really who he claimed to be, or was really he just some rabbi, some great teacher, some enlightened prophet? Was he really the son of God who came to this earth and lived a blameless life and died for the sins of the world so that through faith in him, we might be righteous in the eyes of God and experience eternal life? And so the first question is, is it true? You're trying to figure out, can I trust what Jesus said? What can, I, what can I stand on to know that this isn't just some crutch that we believe to make us feel better, that isn't some just mythical legend? You've got to figure out, is this actually true? But then the second thing that you need to wrestle to the ground is what's it going to cost me if it is true? Like if this actually is legit, if Jesus was who he said he was, what would that mean for my life? And there's some combination of those two things if you're taking a serious look, if you're really being open to look at Christianity and the claims of Jesus, there's those two things going on. Is it true? And if it is, what's it going to cost me? The reason 
that I know that if you're here and you're exploring that those are two things that are uh, big time on your mind is because it wasn't that long ago that I was wrestling with those two things. And it took me about 18 months of really searching, really investigating, asking tough questions. And it was in a church very much like this church where it was, it was okay to ask and wrestle and struggle and doubt it was okay not to believe and to express those things. Like, that's what, what we've got going on here, the culture we try and create here at this church. And after about 18 months, I came to my conclusion through looking at history, through looking at archaeology, through looking at a lot of logical and reasonable arguments, that it was true. That Jesus was someone who actually was who he said he was. And so I came personally to believe that it was true and to put my faith in Jesus and start following him. But the thing that was really tough, you guys, was I knew it was going to cost me something. And the area that I knew it was going to affect me was in my social life. You see, socially, the way that I had kind of built my life and my friendships and kind of my whole network was all around alcohol. Now, before anybody freaks out, all right, I'm all in favor of having a cold beer or a nice glass of wine. Okay, you've got to remember, Jesus' first miracle actually was turning water into wine. Okay, so everybody just breathe, just breathe. It's going to be okay, all right? So, but here, here's the thing. The way that I was using alcohol in my life, I knew was not honoring to God. It just wasn't. There was actually nothing good that was coming out of it. There was nothing redeeming that was coming out of that. And so I knew for me, when I was counting the cost of what it is going to cost me to actually put Jesus first, that I would be third, that I was needing to be willing to give up being the guy with the lampshade on my head. That's what I had to give up. No more lampshades for Derek, okay? That's just not honoring God. That, that was the cost that I knew. That was the biggest thing. It had major ripple effects in my life. Um, but it was totally, totally worth it for me. Now, if you're here this morning and uh, you're still trying to wrestle with this whole Christianity thing, is it true? Is it not? That's one of your questions. Um, what Jesus is saying through these back-to-back little parables, it's very practical, but this is, this is the, your takeaway. You need to make sure you don't miss this is if it is true, if it is true, you are going to follow Jesus. What would it cost to put Jesus first in your life? What would it cost you? Jesus says, please sit down. Before you make this decision, sit down and and think about it. Count the cost. I would encourage you, if you're here and you're exploring the faith, Take some time to write it down so you can look at it on a printed page or on a screen and say, here's the things I think it would cost me to make Jesus number one in my life. Jesus says, you owe it to yourself to do this. Now, if you're here this morning and you've already taken that step of faith, you believe that what Jesus said is true. You have trusted Jesus with your life. You've put your faith in in him. This is a great reminder of a truth for all of us who consider ourselves followers of Jesus. Okay, swallow hard. 
because here comes a punch right to the stomach, all right? Jesus calls us to put him first. And Jesus also calls us to be willing to give up everything we have for him. Now, it doesn't mean we have to give up everything. It doesn't mean we're going to be running around D.C. homeless and naked, okay? So don't, don't worry about that. But we must have a willingness, a willingness to give up everything for the sake of Jesus Christ. That's what it truly means to follow him. This is the cost of discipleship. So here's the question. This is a, a really big question. If you're a follower of Jesus... Is Jesus first in all areas of your life? Is Jesus first in all areas of your life? I know for many of you, and I just know this through my own experience, for many of you, you're like, yeah, I'm pretty good in most areas. But there usually tends to be one that we just struggle to let go of. There's one area and it's either, you know, fear or insecurity or the unknown or, you know, it's some sort of a creature comfort for us or it's just been a habit for so long. It's almost like a part of us now. But there's usually one area, if we're going to be honest, that we want to hold on to, that we put before Jesus. And to ultimately follow Jesus we're to put him first in every single area of our lives. So, I don't know, maybe that one area for you is a relationship. Maybe it's a habit that you struggle with. Maybe it has something to do with your work. Maybe it has something to do with how you spend your free time. Maybe it has something to do with your finances. I don't know what it is for you, but this is one of those moments where I would encourage you just to be open and honest with God and say, God, show me. Is there an area that I need to surrender to you? This is really tough stuff. It's going to take a lot of courage to do it. But God, is there one area that you know I need to put you first? Well, some of you are like, great, thanks, Derek. This has been, this has been awesome. Great Sunday to come to church. Really have enjoyed that. It's been a real buzzkill. So um, thank you. Um, I just want to say that if you're here right now and you're, you're struggling, um, there's one thing that you need to know. This is critically important. Today's sermon does not stand by itself. What I mean by that is if this is your first Sunday coming to Grace or you haven't been here in a while, you actually haven't been tracking through this series, you cannot listen to this sermon in a vacuum and think you're just going to execute it. Awesome. I'm third. I got my card. I'm going to go out and I'm going to sacrifice and I'm just going to muster everything I have and I'm going to suffer for Jesus. Darn it. I'm just going to do it. You can't, that, you will never finish the race that way. You won't. It's, it's a losing game. The reason it's a losing game, and you know if you've been coming the past few weeks, unless you are doing this in response to what God has done for you, you'll never, never do it. And if this is your first Sunday here, or your first Sunday in a while, I beg you to go back and listen to the first part of this series, or even the third part. Otherwise, what you're going to find, like we talked about last week, is you're climbing some religious ladder, and you're filled with all kind of entitlement, and you're exhausted. 
because ultimately there is no ladder. It's what Jesus has done for us, and we respond to that love by joyfully putting God first and others second, and I'm third. Okay, so please, you cannot listen to this message in a vacuum, or it will it will get you nowhere. Now, you might be like, okay, uh, that's great, Jesus first, and all this stuff, cool, um, you know. But here's here's the here's the big question. So what? I mean. Why bother? This sounds really uplifting, Derek, you know? Uh, great, so I get to suffer and uh, put Jesus first, and Jesus sounds a little bit like an egomaniac to me, you know? It's all about just Jesus, Jesus, and I'm last, and sweet, great. What's up with that? Well, let me tell you a little story as we close. I was 23 years old. I was living in Cincinnati, Ohio. i Graduated from Miami University, and um, I was a business major. And I, I pretty much I'm now I'm living in Cincinnati, and I am I'm living the dream. I have been scouting through my last year of college what I consider to be the dream job, and I've somehow miraculously landed it. For me, it was in business consulting. It was a job that combined my business skills with my love for people working in the change management field. I am making way more money than I'm worth. I'm working for the number one consulting firm in the country. I'm working with the most outstanding, fun, awesome, dynamic people possible. And the, and the boss that I wanted, out of all the senior managers, I get the guy that I want. Okay, You could not have lined it up any better just top to bottom. I got my dream job. I'm living a block from a great place downtown Cincinnati to go out in this sweet house with three of my fraternity brothers all just having a blast, all living together. I've got my girlfriend living just a few blocks down the road. This was a girl that um, I was good friends with in college and then I kind of found out at the end of my junior year that I was actually in love with her and I didn't realize it. I don't know if anyone's ever had that happen to them. It's really weird. But um, didn't realize it. Spent six months trying to break her up with her boyfriend. I know that's kind of whatever, but it's just truth. Um, managed to do that. And um, we were dating. So now I'm dating my dream girl. and then my dream location. I'm with, I'm with some of my best friends in the world. I got my dream job. Are you tracking with me? Life is a dream. But you know what? I wasn't fulfilled. I wasn't fulfilled. And I couldn't really put my finger on it at the time. It's one of those things that you can't understand until you're looking back in the rearview mirror. But I do understand it now. The reason that I was living the dream, but I was not fulfilled, was ultimately because I was doing things my way. I was living, not I'm third, but I'm first. And here's the deal. Whatever I wanted, I went out and got. Job, girlfriend, friends, whatever, you name it. Whatever I wanted, I got. But you know what? Some of you are gonna track with me perfectly right now. The more that I wanted, the more that I got. But the more that I got, the more that I wanted. And it seemed like the more that I got, I just I couldn't seem to find that ultimate fulfillment 
in my life. So fast forward a little bit. Uh, my girlfriend at the time drags me to church. Uh, that begins my 18-month really searching, wrestling, hard look at Christianity. I come to actually believe that it is true. And, um, and I start wrestling with this whole I'm third thing. Instead of I'm first, now I'm third. And let me tell you, that changed everything for me, you guys. Everything. Now, you already know, I'm living the dream. So my circumstances, you can't, it's not like, oh, they got even better. Now I've got God as well. No, 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 no. It, it didn't work that way. In terms of like the external, like that was my pinnacle, man. 23 years old, you know what I'm saying? But what changed for me was not the circumstances. What changed for me was something deep inside. It was a sense of purpose that there was more to this life than just me and my pursuits. That there was more to this life that I had to live for. And as I started to, to re-rank the order of my priorities, it was amazing. It was amazing. Jesus is quoted by uh, another writer named Matthew saying this, Matthew 16, 25, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. This is one of the deepest, most profound statements that Jesus has ever made, in my opinion. And just, I just want to focus on half of it because it's too much to digest the whole thing. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. You guys, some of you know, some of you know the blessing in this and the truth in this verse. Others of you, I, I encourage you to just meditate on this and spend time really trying to figure out what in the world does this mean? Because let me tell you something. Losing yourself is one of the greatest blessings of this life. It really is. I don't know if you've ever had a time like that where you just kind of lost yourself. You've lost your cares and your worries and your anxieties and your ego and your agenda. It's an extraordinary thing to get caught up in something bigger than you. It's incredible. And I have never known such peace and fulfillment and contentment. Doesn't mean that every day is easy. Doesn't mean that there aren't struggles and doubts and all those things. It does. But on the whole, being third, it's pretty sweet. It really is. It's truly a blessing. That's why I gave you this card. I hope that you will put this somewhere and you will spend some time thinking about what a blessing it is to be third rather than first. And here's the thing. We're going to close in prayer, but this is what I want to say to you this morning. Some of you, you've been trying it your way. You've been trying and trying and trying. Maybe you're living the dream and maybe you're not. But if you're going to be honest, you can relate to my 23-year-old self. Doing it your way has not led you to ultimate peace and fulfillment in your life. And I just want to encourage you this morning to be open that there's another way. And it doesn't involve me first. It involves being third. Let's pray. God, uh, we thank you not just for the really cool, fun, uplifting verses of the Bible and the things that you said, Jesus, but, but also the tough things talking about how we're supposed to put you first and how it's going to cost us something 
and how we need to be willing to give things up for you. Uh, Lord, um, help us, especially those of us who think that that's really just you being some crazy egomaniac and that it's all about you being awesome and us suffering. And help us to push past that and to see and feel and experience the love and the joy that you have in seeing your children flourish when they stop trying to do everything their way and maybe would be open to doing things your way. And in that, that we might discover that by not being first, but by being third, that we would find the key to all the blessings in this life. Give us the courage to push in when we're scared as all get out and want to run the other way. Show us what we need to do and help us to count the cost, but then to lean in and just do it. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.